Welcome. Glad to see you guys this weekend. If you've been with us for very long, you know we've been kind of systematically walking through the book of Luke. But this week, we're, we're one more week taking a, a pause on Luke, and we are in the book of Psalms. From time to time, we break off and try to get through all of the, the Psalms as we're teaching verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Today, we're up to Psalm 8. And so the good news is there's only 142 more to go. Right, so we're, we're just almost there. It's, it's like, you know, you leave for like a 12-hour car trip and you're five minutes out of town and your, your kid asks you how much longer, dad. It's kind of like one of those things. It's gonna be a while, little buddy, okay? But we're gonna make it, we're gonna make it through. We're in it for the, the long haul. And, you know, God's really been speaking to me through his word recently. And if I'm being completely honest, completely transparent, a couple of years ago when Clayton first came to us and told us that, you know, he felt like God was leading us towards this, this method of, of, of teaching as a church every single week, verse by verse, chapter by chapter through scripture, I was a little bit skeptical. You know, I, I'd never really experienced something like that for that amount of time before. And, and to be honest, I, I was kind of thinking, well, what about, what about people that are going through stuff? You know, what about somebody that needs to come and hear a sermon about, you know, marriage or, or parenting, kind of these, these felt needs. Like we, we all have things we go through and we, we need, you know, some truth to speak to those things. And, and to, if, I'm, if I'm being honest, I didn't quite realize how much is packed into every single verse of God's word. Because the, the cool thing that I've experienced so far, and maybe you have too, if you'll just go through the scripture, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, eventually it will speak to whatever you're going through. It gets there eventually. And we will still do from time to time some topical series here and there. But it's amazing how God works. And he speaks to us in ways through his word that you maybe never even expected or never saw coming. I've even had people after sermons that I've given come up and say, man, it was really cool when you said that one thing, you know, yada, yada, yada. And I'm I don't even remember saying it, right? Because I'm like, I'm pretty sure I didn't say that, but obviously God did, right? Because he has a way of letting us hear what he needs us to hear. It's so cool when he does that, right? You've been in those situations where you're hearing a preacher talk and you're like leaning over to your wife, like, did you email him or something? Like, how does he know exactly what I'm going through, exactly what, I, what I'm dealing with? But that's kind of how it, how it works a lot of times because God's awesome. And his word is amazing. And let me go ahead and predict something for you today. I, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what problem you're facing. I don't know where you are uh, in your life. But today you're going to get exactly that, a message that speaks exactly to your struggle. And we'll get to that in a little bit. We're in Psalm chapter 8. If you have a Bible, you can open it up. Chapter 8, it'll be on the screen. I'm going to ask Moses to come and read for us. So would you guys stand as we read God's word today? Hey everyone, I'm Moses. I'm the music, music director here at City Church and uh, I'm a part of a small group here with Spencer and um, my wife is running camera in the back, so she's awesome. And yeah, here we go. <laughs> oh Lord, our Lord. Your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars 
ye set in place? What are mere mortals that ye should think about them? Human beings that ye should care for them. Yet ye made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. Ye gave them charge of everything ye made, putting all things under their authority, the flock and herds and all the wild animals. The birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean currents. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Thank you, Moses. You guys can have a seat. So Psalm 8, if you've been here the last few weeks, you can already tell that this particular psalm has a little bit different tone to it, right? This is, is actually a psalm, a hymn of praise. The, the last five have been pretty dark. Uh, we've been through some pretty low moments with David. These have been psalms of, of uh, laments, right? And crying out to God for, for help and for deliverance. Instead of a, a cry for help, this particular one is a cry of praise. And it, can, it's, it consists of a couple of different parts, right? This is basically a poem that David wrote. And you can kind of break it into two different stanzas. Uh, the, you have um, stanzas that are enclosed in what's called a poetic inclusio. I learned that word today. It's like bracketing. You know, it, it starts with one line and it kind of ends with the exact same line. So you have this, this, your majestic name fills the earth, right? It's praising God and all the earth. Then it talks about God's glory and creation. And then he kind of turns and questions the worth of, of a person, human worth. And we start stanza two. Stanza two is the answer to that question. That man, who is man? Man is crowned with glory. He's responsible for creation. And then it ends the way it started. Your majestic name fills the earth. So what we're going to do is go back through these verses. I want to point out just a couple of little nuggets of truth. And then we're going to have some, some uh, takeaways, right? Some, some application at the end. So the first thing I think David is wanting us to, to see today is that God's glory is indescribable. His glory is indescribable. David is at a loss for words here. He's saying, how majestic is your name? His response that he's giving back to God is as, as he looks at all of creation and everything that God has done, it just blows his mind. This is an impressive thing to David. He's, he's looking at the glory of God's creation. He's impressed. He, he's in awe. He, he's like just wow, right, before God. This is kind of a, a common thread here through this psalm. It's, it's an impressive, almost intimidating power that's on display for all to see. It's, it's visible. Interesting note here. Most psalms begin with, with an imperative, like a call to the congregation, like let us sing together, right? That's how almost every one of them starts. This one starts differently. It starts with words spoken directly to God. The first word in the psalm is, oh Lord. And it's the only psalm that starts this way. David is praising God straight to, from David to God, praising him. And in verse two, he says, you have taught children and infants, right? King James Version says it this way. You may have recognized the way it's phrased here. Out of the mouths of babes. Now, there's a little bit of uh, discussion amongst theologians about what exactly he's talking about here. Some people think that the babies or infants he's talking about may be referring to, to the people of God, the, Israelite, the Israelites, that they're, they're weaker than everyone else around them. But through them, God is going to make his glory, make his power known. But most think it's, it's taken more 
literally talking about babies that can't speak yet, giving praise and glory to God, that God's glory is shown even through them. Here's a quote from John Calvin. He falls in this line of thinking. He says, the meaning therefore is that God, in order to commend his providence, has no need of the powerful eloquence of rhetoricians. There's another new word I learned this week. This is like rhetoric, right? Being the, the, the base word there, the professional talker. He doesn't need that. Nor even of distinct and formed language because the tongues of infants, although they do not as yet speak, are ready and eloquent enough to celebrate. So he's saying, even, even though these babies can't even form words yet, they still point to the, the glory of the creation of God, our King. David's saying it's, it's, it's amazing. He's amazing. He is indescribable. And he, he's, he's looking at all that God has done. He's blown away. And naturally where your thoughts would go at that point is, man, look, look how amazing God is. So, so who is man? Who is man? Like who, who is mortal man that, that you would think of him? When I look at the night sky and I see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you would think about them, human beings that you would care for them? He's talking about man's place in this, in this created order. Like how amazing you are, God. Like then, then who am I? Who is man? And he makes a little dig here. If you, if you, he talks about the works of your fingers. A lot of pagans in those days worshiped the heavens. They worshiped stars. They thought that stars had their own identity. They had power. But David here is describing them as they are. They're objects that testify to their creator's glory. And he kind of belittles them by calling them the, the quote, the works of your fingers. That's how big our God is. And David's astonished. He's blown away. This God who's great enough and powerful enough to create everything that we see, that hung the stars in their place, that he would take notice of man. But not only that, God, God goes beyond even taking notice of man. It says he is mindful of him. What does that mean? He's mindful of man. He, he cares for him. God's greatness isn't a remoteness, right? It's not a long distance relationship. He, he's mindful of man. He is close to man. He knows him. He has an eye for the detail of his life. David says that in a different Psalm, you, you delight in every detail of our lives. This big, powerful God is, is close. David's overwhelmed. He's overcome by this vast expanse of, of the heavens of God's creation as it sounds like he's standing out under the stars, right? And so he's led to ask this, this question, if God is so great, then who am I that he would think of me? Little old me. Carl Sagan was an American astronomer, a planetary scientist, a cosmologist, which is not a cosmetologist, an astrophysicist and an astrobiologist. He's a pretty smart guy. And what I'm about to read you is an excerpt from his book called The Pale Blue Dot. It was inspired by an image taken at Sagan's suggestion by Voyager 1 on February 14th, 1990. As the spacecraft was, was leaving our system, 
and was going, I don't know where, it turned around for, for one more last look at our planet. And it took a picture. This picture is known as the pale blue dot. This is it. You see it? Let me, let me help you. It's right there. That pale blue dot is the earth. At the time of this picture, Voyager 1 was about 4 billion miles away from it. 4 billion miles. And it was caught in the center of this kind of like scattered ray of light as they took a picture that was close to the sun. So it's kind of suspended in this beam of light. A tiny little point. So, so we're going to have it on the screen. I want, you, I want you to look at that dot and listen to Sagan's, um, a little quote from his book as we, we look at the earth from this distance. He says, look at that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you ever heard of, every human being who ever was lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and every sinner in history of our species lived there on a moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. What, what would David say if he saw that? I mean, it's almost like looking at the heavens in reverse, right? God is so big and we are so incredibly small. What would David say? I think he might say, who is man? That you're mindful of him. Who is he? You feel, you feel the tension that he's feeling, man. It's, we're so minuscule and insignificant. Who am I? But then David answers his own question by pointing out who God says that we are. Who am I? I'm royalty. I'm royalty. It's just another, another step towards David's mind being blown even more. He says, yet yeah, you, you made them, man, only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. This is not just, remember, a remote thing and not even just mindfulness. He's elevated us into a place of, of royalty. That's kind of the, the theme of the second half of this. We're celebrated as the royalty of God's creation. We've been commanded by God to, to govern nature, to govern his creation. He's crowned us with authority, putting things under our authority. Some translations say placed under our feet. This is a phrase in those days that, 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 that was hinting towards royalty, to the kind of authority a king would have. So God is the creator king. He's the creator God, and he extends to us this, this royalty that, that, that we don't deserve. In fact, it says he, we're just below God. I mean, think about that. That's the place he's elevated us to, just below God. Some translations say just below heavenly beings or just below the angels. 
The, the, the word used in the Hebrew is Elohim. Elohim is the name that's often used for God himself. So whether it's God or heavenly beings or angels or whatever else, the, 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 the point here is that he's elevated us way beyond our weakness and our seeming insignificance in the universe. We're important to him, but, but not because of anything that we've done on our own, not because of us. This is what God chose to do for us. Notice the language throughout that psalm. You have made, you have crowned, you have given, you have placed us in this position. What gives human beings, you and I, like dignity and value and purpose isn't anything that comes from us from within ourselves. It's given to us by God. Our worth comes from the outside of us. It's him. He chooses to give us worth, to give us value. It's not from within ourselves, finding ourselves, discovering ourselves, or, or whatever else. It's, it's found in recognizing the one who gives us the value. It comes from him. But again, humans aren't just these servants that God created for his own benefit. We're not some kind of science experiment or a bunch of lab rats that God toys around with. Instead, we are the very means by which God is revealed in the earth. We, we are a, a, a mirror of God's glory to the earth. We, we point people to him. Here's a quote from Gerald Wilson, a theologian I really liked. It says, the psalmist's final thought is not how great and magnificent you are, O oh God, and how puny we humans are by contrast. Instead, his central insight is that in spite of the incredible chasm that separates humans and their God, so that humans appear as but a minuscule specks of dust on a rock revolving around one of thousands of stars and but one of countless galaxies flung across the universe, God is still mindful of humans and has the will, purpose, an incredible gifting for our lives. In spite of all of that and this great chasm between us, God, God is still mindful of us and has purpose for us and gives us value, has a plan for us. And so David, after this journey he's on, he comes back to how majestic is your name? Your majestic name fills the earth. He's back where he started. So now his audience understands, just like he does, why God is so amazing. Look at what all he's done. Look at what all he's created. Look at how impressive he is. And then what, what am I? Who am I that he is mindful of me? Oh, yeah, he, he's, he's elevated us to this royal standing on the earth. He's given us all value and purpose. David was amazed at that. Are you? Are you amazed at that truth? When's the last time you were truly amazed at God, truly in awe of him? Here's kind of my big idea today. Your view of God is inadequate. Your view of God is inadequate. Sometimes, I think we... We serve this, this imaginary God that we've kind of contrived in our own minds that, that's just so, so small. Limited power, limited holiness, limited 
grace and righteousness, a limited attention span, limited wrath at sin. And we, we serve and follow this God that's not really a God at all. We put him in our little box and we put him on our shelf and, and there he stays until we need him again. This is not the God of the Bible. And I think David here is trying to, trying to lift our lid a little bit, right? Like raise our, our vision past this, this um, inadequate view of him to the actual God that we serve, that we would be in awe of him as David was in that moment. You know, when the, the Hebrews wanted to try to convey something that's just too big to understand, too, too vast to comprehend, they always turned to the sky, to stars, to the, the universe. And the same is here with David. He, he's trying to put into words the glory of God. Think about how, much, how, how, how difficult that must be to put words on something that's so indescribable. John Calvin again says it this way. This exclamation of David implies that when all the faculties of the human mind are exerted to the utmost in meditation on this subject, they yet come far short of it. You, you, you can think, think on it as long as you want. You could have the most brilliant imagination and, and you're never even going to come close to truly grasping the glory and the majesty of God Almighty. You can't do it. Have you ever been out on a, a super clear, dark, dark night, like, a, you know, maybe you're camping or something, you're in the mountains, you're, like, you're away from the city lights, and you look up, and you just can't believe how many stars there are? Like, when did, when did all these stars happen, right? We were at camp last month in, uh, at family camp. Some of y'all were there. And on this, these grounds that, that we, were meet, we were meeting in this building, kind of up at the top of this hill, and it was so dark. Like, when the sun went down, I've never seen darkness like this. And you would hear, like, that first night we were there, somebody would walk outside, and you would hear, like, oh, whoa, oh, like, like, what's the commotion? He's like, dude, it's dark out there. I'm like, yeah, the sun went down. Of course it's dark out there. But then you walk out there, and it is shockingly dark. I've never seen anything so dark. And then what you do is you look up, and it's just from horizon to horizon. Like, I, you, you want to talk about countless stars. It, it was amazing. And person after person that walked out there, what did they do? They stopped and they looked up and they were just in awe. You, you, you don't just talk over that, right? You're looking and your mouth is open and you're like, wow, look at that. There's no describing that to somebody. You, you have to see it. You have to experience it. How, how would you des describe God's glory? I, I'm assuming there's no one here today in, in this room that's physically seen God on his throne been there in his presence but there are people in in scripture that have and they all try to, to put words to this thing that's so difficult to describe they, they, they're trying to describe something that's indescribable so their 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 descriptions differ a little bit from from person to person you have john in the book of revelation that has this this vision of, of seeing god and his glory on the throne and, and he's like trying to put words to it you know it's not like a person but he's he's like diamonds and rubies and these glowing jewels Ezekiel, the, the prophet, says this. He says, it's something that looked like a throne made of blue sapphires, a figure whose appearance resembled a man. What appeared to be his waist up, he looked like, like gleaming ambers. Some translations say like burning, glowing metal, 
flickering like a fire. And from his waist down, he looked like a burning flame shining with splendor. You, you kind of get the idea that he's like just searching for words here to, to describe something that he's never seen before. He's like, yeah, well, his, you know, from the waist up, he's like burning metal. He's like this flickering, he's like fire, really. Oh, what's he like from the waist down? Well, you know, he's kind of like fire too. You know, it's just, he's just glowing. It's like, think about the brightest, most awesome thing you've ever seen. It's, it's kind of like that. And then he goes on after that to talk about his glory. And he, he's saying, you know, like when there's, there's clouds and it's been raining, it's kind of dark, but then the sun breaks through and it refracts all this light and you have this beautiful rainbow across the sky. He said, it's kind of like that. He's searching for words, trying to describe something that they can't describe. Why? Because they're, they're putting words on something that can't be contained in words. There is no adequate way to describe it, right? He, he's, he's holy. The, the definition of holy set apart. There is nothing else like him. Nothing even comes close. Have you ever seen a, a sunset that takes your breath away? Like, like you just have to stop and look at it like, oh my gosh, look at that. Like we have a lot of those in this part of the, the, the country, of course, but uh, for our family vacations in the summers, we go to South Padre with the family, and, and we, we look out towards the west on the, on the bay side of the island where the sun sets on certain days where it's not hazy and there's no clouds. And I mean, the sun looks like it goes into the water. I mean, and it's huge. It, it's, it's the most amazing thing in the world. And when, every, every time we see it, what, what do I do? Do I just take it in and just appreciate it? No, what do I do? I take a picture of it. And you know, if you take a picture of a sunset, now granted, I will say this is a beautiful scene, but you should have been there. The, the sun wasn't this little tiny speck in the sky. I mean, it, it was blowing my mind. And as you watch it kind of settle into the water, my mom used to say, if you listen close, you can hear it sizzle, you know, we're dumb kids like, oh, that's cool. Um, it's not how it works, but this picture does not do it justice. I mean, it doesn't even come close. And my, my, my phone is full of pictures like this. Just try, you just want to capture that, that moment and that, that scene. And it just never does it justice. This is a little taste of what it's like to try to describe God's glory. All their descriptions were a little bit different, but all their responses to seeing his glory, to seeing his throne, to seeing God, all their responses are the same. They faint. They fall down. They throw themselves to the ground. Like Ezekiel said, when I saw it, I fell face down on the ground. Isaiah in chapter 6, he's talking about seeing this scene where the train of his robe filled the temple and all these creatures were flying around with all these wings and they were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And when encountered with, with the, the, the holiness and the glory and the righteousness and the majesty of God, the creator, Isaiah, who was a pretty good guy, God's chosen prophet, says, it's all over, I am doomed for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips. I live among a people with filthy lips, yet I've seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. He's 
overwhelmed in that moment. You remember I, I told you earlier, I, I predicted that this message would speak to every single issue that's represented in this room. I, I, I truly believe that the answer to almost every problem in our lives is a more accurate view of the majesty and the glory of God. See, one of the biggest problems we have in the church today and as Christians is like, we have this, just this small view of God and we talk about him all casually and we, we pray these little flippant prayers and we, we don't realize we're forgetting that if we saw him, we would say nothing if we even survived it. We'd be in awe. Your view of him is inadequate. How do I know that? Because you're human and because I'm human and we're like a cheap Polaroid camera that's trying to capture the glory of the sun. No matter how powerful you think he is, he's infinitely more powerful. No matter how holy and beautiful and glorious you think he is, he's infinitely more. Our minds don't have the capacity to comprehend it. So, so what happens as Christians is when, when we have this small view of God, we become ungrateful. We become arrogant. We start to act like God was created for us. Like, well, if God loved me, he would do this. And if God really loved us, he wouldn't let that happen. And, and we start questioning everything about him. We start acting like we are his judge. <laughs> Instead of being like David and Isaiah and Ezekiel and John and just say, no way. No way does this God love me. No way does this God look at me and, and is mindful of me and knows me. Blown away. I'm just a speck of dust on a speck of dust. How in the world is the God of the universe? How does he know my name? See, a, a correct view of him is the answer to most of our problems. And I'm not trying to make light of what you're going through. I know some of you in the room. I know people here are going through unspeakably difficult things and my, my heart breaks for you. I'm not trying to belittle, belittle that in any way, but, 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 but a, gl a glimpse of the glory of God changes everything. A right view of God changes our situations. You go back to Isaiah, the one that talked about the train of his robe filling the temple. When he's describing that scene, that God lets him, him kind of view this, this throne room situation. In chapter six, the very first line of that chapter starts like this. In the year of Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord. In the year of Uzziah's death. Now Uzziah, not to be confused with Isaiah, Uzziah was a king of Israel. He was a good one. You know, reading through scripture, you know that anytime there was a good king that was faithful to God, that was obedient, things went really, really well for them. When they had a bad one, it went really, really bad for them. And here you had Uzziah, who was an, an amazingly good king. He'd been in power for 52 years, 52 years of God's blessing and things just working the way they should because you had a, a leader in power that was faithful and now he's dead. 
And no doubt Isaiah was close to this man. He was the prophet of God. So he's setting up this scene where their leader's dead. There's some uncertainty there. He's probably wrestling through some things even personally. And what God didn't do, this is, this is interesting. He, he didn't counsel him. He didn't say, let's talk about it. Tell me how you're feeling. Let's work through this together. He said, let me show you something. And he gave him a glimpse of something bigger than himself. Let me set your eyes a little higher. Let me shift your perspective a little bit. Let, let me show you who is really on the throne. And Isaiah saw God's glory. Can you imagine, imagine for a second that, that however you picture in your imagination, if you could see God, if you could see the throne room of God, God on his throne in person for just 10 seconds, You know what you wouldn't be thinking about in those 10 seconds? You wouldn't be thinking about your problems. You wouldn't be thinking about pain in your life. You wouldn't, I mean, you wouldn't be thinking about anything except for how amazing he is. You might not even think about your problems for the next 10 years. Why? Because they pale into capacity. You wouldn't even, you wouldn't even want to, to bother rehearsing all of your, your problems to God and where were you and why have you forgotten? You would be silent. You would be in awe. It would take your breath away. Here's our challenge today. Raise your gaze. Lift your eyes. Shift your perspective. Live in this great contradiction, the, the great paradox of Psalm 8. God is indescribably amazing. You are nothing, yet he gave you everything. That should be a humbling thought to us today. He's amazing. I'm nothing, but he gave me everything. This is the, the great mystery of the gospel, the upside down kingdom. You have this glorious God that we've been talking about now for the last 34 minutes. How, how just trying to put into words, trying to imagine like how glorious he actually is, how big and powerful and, and amazing he is. And this God, because he loves us that, that live on that tiny pale blue dot, loved us so much that he became flesh and came to the earth, not riding these stallions and making this big scene or whatever. He, he was born in a barn with the animals. to a poor nobody family from, from a poor nobody town. He walks the earth like, like you and I. He, he spends all of his time and just with the lowest of the low, the, the nobodies, the outcasts. He loved people, he served people. And ultimately, he allowed himself to be murdered, humiliated, disgraced for you. That same God allowed himself, even though there's never lived another person like him, completely blameless, sinless, 
you think you're falsely accused of stuff or you want to defend yourself when people, you know, you want to disagree, whatever. Like, this will change your relationships if, if you just grasp this one thing, the fact that Jesus had every single right to defend himself. Well, you're wrong. I didn't do that. Yet he said nothing. He said nothing. He allowed himself to be stripped naked, to be beaten, whipped, tortured. They mocked him, they laughed at him. They hung him on this cross for everybody to see with the sign above him, King of the Jews. Just laughing at him. He didn't say a word. Until he said, Father, forgive him. You know, <laughs> I don't know where you are in your relationship with God, but it should blow all of our minds to think that that God cares that much about us. And if you don't have a relationship with him, man, start one today. I don't know what you're waiting for. I don't know what you're afraid of, but there's, there's more for you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants, he wants a close, not a, not a distant relationship. He wants a personal, intimate relationship with you. And the only reason you can have one, the only way to get one, to be made right with him is through Jesus, what he did for us on that cross, became sin for us. He, he paid our, the penalty of our sin, paid our fine, and now we can have a relationship with him. And then we can learn what it, what it means to live in that, that, that paradox, that contradiction, that, that just like, what in the world is this thing where there, he's so amazing, I'm nothing, but he gave me everything. Guess what living like that leads to? Not, not arrogance and not being ungrateful. It leads to walking in humility, just in awe of God, walking, walk living live a humble life. Like that's, if we're gonna be Jesus followers, that, that's, that's, what, that's what's required of us because that's who he was. It keeps your life in the right perspective. It, it keeps your, your line of sight kind of above the, the forest, you know, you, you, can, you can see things more clearly. It's a more, it's a more mature, stable life. It's easy to look at the world around us and all the stuff we have to deal with on a daily basis and just the pain all around us and, and the, the sickness and the, the death and marriage issues that come up and the stuff with our kids, sickness. I mean, it's just, it, it goes, it seems like it goes on and on and on. And it's so easy for us to, to get consumed by that, to, to be swallowed up by that. And we kind of lose our perspective and we get discouraged, we get frustrated, we get depressed, we lose hope, we're robbed of peace. That's not the life that he died to give us as followers of Jesus. He wants to say to like he did to, to Isaiah, let, let, me, let me show you something. I, I know you don't understand it, I know it's difficult, I know you're struggling, but, but let me show you who I am. If we could just raise our gaze off of us and our problems and off of the, the people in our lives that are, that are absolutely wearing us out onto the, the matchless beauty of our creator, God. And then you just watch what happens to your problems. They shrink. Can God change them, change our situation? Of course he can, and he might do it. But in the meantime, 
Just behold his majesty. God, you, you are amazing. I am nothing and you gave me everything. I, I'm, I'm just a dust on a speck of dust. <laughs> caught in the beam of the light of, of God's grace in my life. Who is man that you're mindful of me? Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? And just, man, whatever this is meant to you today, just, just open your heart to God and, and ask him what he's trying to tell you, what he's trying to show you. What is it in your life that's at the moment just blotting out the sun? That's obscuring your view of, of, of him. God, we know we don't need a, a better understanding of us or our problems. We don't need to look deeper into our, our situations to figure out solutions of stuff. We, we, we need to look beyond all of that and look to the one that sits on the throne. God, we need a more accurate picture of you, if we, if we could just glimpse your glory, that, that, that we would fall face down before you. That's where I want to live, God. I don't want to live this life blown around by the wind and tossed around and, and just unstable and uncertain and, and doubting. God, I want to live in full view of you. And whatever comes my way, that stuff of life that the rogue waves that just blindside us. God, let me not take my eyes off you. Let me live my life in awe of you. Not, not this need to understand or to be comfortable or whatever else, but to, to live my life in awe of you, worshiping you, following you. Give me your eyes. Remain with your, your head bowed, eyes closed, just in this attitude of prayer. I want to read Ecclesiastes chapter 5 to you. And then we're going to sing. As you enter the house of God, keep your ears open and your mouth shut. It's evil to make mindless offerings to God. Don't make rash promises. Don't be hasty in bringing matters before God. After all, God is in heaven and you are here on earth. So let your words be few.